Hello, and welcome to Wedge Issues, a politics podcast from the Cap Times. I'm Jack Kelly. Today on the show, I talk with U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin, who is gearing up to run for a third term in the United States Senate. Baldwin has been a mainstay in Wisconsin politics for more than 20 years, and even though she doesn't yet have a Republican challenger, is wasting no time getting back on the road here in Wisconsin to meet with voters. We spoke last week at her campaign office in Madison about her work on the Respect for Marriage Act, what she learned from the 2022 midterm elections, why she's seeking a third term in the Senate, and what's to come over the next year and a half. Here's my conversation with U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin. U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin, thank you very much for joining Wedge Issues. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. Can't believe we're already talking about the 2024 elections and the election cycle. They seem to never stop. You've been serving in the U.S. Senate for more than a decade now. You've been in Washington for more than 20 years on and off. What made you want to seek a third term in the Senate and continue to go back to the place where the show truly never stops? Yeah. You know, it's continuing to work on those kitchen table issues that make such a difference in people's lives, whether that's the opportunity to have a good paying job that supports your family or being able to afford your health care, fighting to lower the cost of life-saving and life-extending prescription drugs. You know, and in our current moment, regaining the rights and freedoms that we've lost. These are fights that I intend to uh, continue on behalf of Wisconsinites, and they matter in people's lives. You've been in Washington under both Democratic presidents and Republican presidents. How have things changed now since when you first got to Washington when you were in the House? Well, they've changed in a number of ways, and I would say, as we all observe, the divisions, partisanship, but the deep divisions have, I think, worsened significantly. A lot of that has happened since uh, the Trump presidency or before and during and after. The presence of these conspiracy theories, it's deeply troubling for all sorts of reasons. I mean, words have consequences, words sometimes incite actions. So it's a very difficult time for that reason. But also, it's hard to have a course forward, a path forward, when you can't even agree on the challenges. I can and do work with anyone if it's about helping move Wisconsin forward, helping fight for this state and the people. But if there's disagreement on the facts and disagreement on the challenges, it's hard to then get over just the differences and approaches to attacking those challenges, if you will. And that I've seen more of in in recent years. It's deeply disturbing. Uh, But still, there's been any number of instances we can talk about where we've been able to bridge partisan divides to tackle real problems and succeed both under Republican administrations and Democratic. Yeah. Obviously, you can and have been a bridge builder in, in the Senate. One big thing that jumps out to me was your work on the Respect for Marriage yes. Act. How can those deals come to be in a Washington that is still, as you said, is so divided? How can you still manage to get things like that done? You know, there's some aspects of the Respect for Marriage Act that were rather unique and aren't necessarily easy to replicate on every issue. And then there's some where the lessons really do help you think about how to bridge build more often or find that compromise. But on the Respect for Marriage Act, it became an urgent situation after the U.S. Supreme Court issued its decision in the Dobbs case overturning Roe versus Wade. And then 
you know, both in the majority opinion, but also Justice Thomas's concurring opinion, they called out a whole set of other rights that rest on the same sort of legal reasoning. Mm -hmm. So access to contraception, same-sex marriage, uh, marriage equality. And it was pretty clear, especially with the Thomas opinion, that he was issuing an invitation to litigators to like, let's retry these cases. We'll have a different outcome. Right. And so the the sense of urgency, especially for people who sought to be married or have already um, married after marriage equality was uh, declared by a previous Supreme Court differently composed, people were very scared mm -hmm. about being able to protect their families. And literally, I heard from people saying, we're not sleeping well at night, we're worrying. And so with that sense of urgency, I approached several Republican colleagues who had been uh, supportive of LGBTQ rights, either in employment or other settings prior, and sort of organized the initial crew that we're going to work as a team to try to get the votes necessary. But so what's changed? What's changed and what's unique about this particular quest is that I believe there's probably not a senator who's serving today who doesn't know a same-sex couple who's married, mm -hmm. right? Who has a staff member, who has extended family member, who goes to church or synagogue with gay male married couple or lesbian uh, married couple. And so it's harder to say no and turn your back if you know uh, people who are impacted by this. And that's how we got to 12. I mean, I think we should have been able to get to you know, 95, you know, 95 total senators. We ended up with 62 senators supporting the measure, which was enough to get over a filibuster and get it um, passed and ultimately signed into law. You know, the lessons learned, listen to my colleagues and what their concerns were, try to address those in a way that doesn't do harm to the overlying purpose of the bill and be tenacious. Yeah. Shifting, you know, to the campaign, mm -hmm. you're, you're running for a third term. <laughs> the best and, and also maybe the most dangerous time in an incumbent's campaign is one they don't have an opponent. You don't have an opponent. There's no declared Republicans. Quite a few of them are rumored to be considering a run. Two of them are, are members of the congressional delegation with you, Representatives Tom Tiffany and Mike Gallagher. What do you make of Tom and, and Mike, and what kind of you know campaign challenge could they present if they decided to run for this Senate seat against you? Yeah, so first of all, I don't pay a lot of attention to that. I mean, I'm aware of any number of people who've said to the press, we're exploring this, we'll have announcements. And, and so at this stage, without a declared opponent, the, the names aren't as important as just what I can say about uh, these individuals and their party. Um, you know, whether it's out-of-state multimillionaire or others, they're out of touch with Wisconsin. I hear uh, support for a national six-week abortion ban. I hear, you know, all sorts of things that are just out of touch with what um, Wisconsinites want. I mean, the idea that they would let the United States default and not take that off the table, these are things that are absolutely counter to our values in Wisconsin. And so that's what I can say, you know, there'll be more when there is a declared candidate, but yeah, out of touch. You brought it up there, abortion access and abortion policy was the defining issue of, of the midterms in 2022. 
How do you think it'll factor into your re-election race, given that in Wisconsin, things could and very well may have changed by that point with a new state Supreme Court, liberal majority, the lawsuit challenging Wisconsin's abortion ban working its way through. Abortion could be legal again in Wisconsin. How do you think abortion and abortion access will factor into the race in yeah. next year? First, about the April's you know, uh, general election and Janet Protasewicz's victory by a huge margin, I mean, 11-point margin. I think that that was Wisconsin voters saying, we want our rights and freedoms back. And certainly abortion care was chief among those, but I think it also said we want unfettered access to the ballot box. We want to restore some of the collective bargaining rights that we used to have. It's a whole set of rights and freedoms that people have watched get pulled back, and they are so eager to regain those. You know, we never want to go backwards in terms of these things. So. That was a very important statement by the people of the state of Wisconsin, and a pretty profound statement. I am hopeful that our state Supreme Court will re-examine our 1849 era criminal abortion ban. But if they strike it down, I will remind you that there are a whole host of other restrictions, limitations, burdens on the right to comprehensive reproductive health care in Wisconsin that have been passed under previous governors uh, over the course of the last you know, three decades. Mm -hmm. And so even if we are still gonna have fettered, not unfettered rights, I lead the national effort to codify Roe versus Wade in the wake of Dobbs. It's a bill called the Women's Health Protection Act. We put this forward to both codify Roe versus Wade, but to take the next step of saying to states like Wisconsin, like Texas, like Florida, like Missouri, et cetera, that we're gonna codify this and you cannot pass laws that interfere with the rights articulated in Roe versus Wade. It doesn't mean you can't do anything, but it means you have to be consistent with Roe versus Wade in your lawmaking. And that's step two. So it would be wonderful if our state Supreme Court can nullify the 1849 statute, but there will be more work to do. I hope that Wisconsin voters, and I, I know Wisconsin voters, are going to see that fight through. It's not just one and done. This is, it took them almost 50 years, the other side, and they never gave up this tenacious trying to overturn Roe versus Wade. It may not be one year or two years and three years, but we need to keep up that fight. And it might be sooner rather than later if we can do something about filibuster reform. Mm. That's a whole other conversation. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> one more question thinking about 2022. What did you learn from the Senate race here? Senator Johnson narrowly defeats Mandela Barnes to win a third term. What does it tell you about Wisconsin voters that they're willing to send both you and Senator Johnson to Washington, who are two very different people, to serve in the Senate? Yeah, well, first of all, just looking at the 2022 midterms, it uh, says what we already know about Wisconsin is that we're a pretty purple 50-50 state. And thrilled that Governor Evers was reelected by, as he said, a landslide 3.4% margin or somewhere in, right in there, like double his last margin. Right. And it was heartbreaking to see Mandela Barnes come so close you know, is virtually a tie, but within 1%. It was the closest any Democrat came to defeating 
an incumbent senator in the country to show you how close it was, but obviously came up short. But it just reminds us how Wisconsin is. The other big takeaway from that was just how much money was spent Mm -hmm. on Ron Johnson's behalf. So between what Ron Johnson raised and what was raised on his behalf in the party packs and the super PACs and all of that, I've heard it reported $77 million. So as I plan moving forward, I know that I have to continue, as I did this past week, getting around the entire state, listening and keeping on fighting for the people. That is the path. The former president uh, is Donald Trump is is once again the front runner for the Republican nomination for president, which would be the third time in a row potentially that he was the Republican nominee. You know, how would it be different? You talked about the governor's landslide uh, re-election in November. Maybe he should call you. You beat your opponent by almost 11 points the last time you ran for re-election. How would it be different this time, you know, potentially running on the same ballot where Donald Trump could potentially be running for president? Yeah. So obviously when he won Wisconsin in 2016, I was not on the ballot, but I was two years later. Mm -hmm. I have to sort of do the math on my margin of victory compared to the other candidates that were narrower margins of victory. Much narrower. Yeah. And surmise that um, that there were people who voted for Trump and then voted for me, right? The Trump-Baldwin voters. You're like, who are these people? Well, I think I can tell you from my campaign, I met a few of them. My favorite story to tell because it was just such a great interaction, but I was at Nina Foundry, okay. you know, where they make the manhole covers, et cetera. And I met this um, fellow who works there and he sees me and he comes up to me and goes, why do you keep picking on my guy, Trump? And I said, well, sometimes he deserves it. And um, he kind of little smile, but not much. And anyways, we, we ended up chatting a little bit and then I moved on and somebody I know went up to him and said, so you're a big Trump guy. What do you think of Baldwin? And he go, oh, she has my vote. She's for Buy America. And I have my job because of Buy America. But he also reminded the friend, Trump supports Buy America. It was such an interesting revelation for me to hear that. You know, we're so different in every other way. But this fellow understands that he wouldn't have a job, right, if there weren't Buy America policies. People would source uh, cheaper components that are made in countries that have no worker protections, worker safety, worker minimum wage, no environmental protections. They can undercut our price, but you know, it's the race to the bottom. So that was the first, and the other was actually a dairy farmer who I was visiting his farm. There were a bunch of other neighboring farmers. We were talking about policy and some of the bills that I'd been introducing. Somebody asked him who he had voted for in 16. He said, Trump, and what about Tammy? He's like, well, you listen to the conversation. She's championing everything we could wish for her to be pushing on, whether it's getting a level playing field, uh, getting, you know, stopping the tariffs on cheese, whether it's fighting for our ability to get grants to innovate on our farms. I mean, just the whole panoply of issues that I've been out front on. And so I think that's possible even moving forward, even if I'm on the ballot at the same moment, but that remains to be seen. Yeah. One thing I want to ask about, um, you've been a strong advocate for dairy farmers, especially in the space of of mental health, uh, getting mental health resources to dairy farmers. I've done pretty extensive reporting on this and the crisis that many dairy farmers face. 
How did your advocacy come about on this? Was it from conversations out on the farm? What made you really want to champion this issue of, of helping farmers get the resources they need? I know that you and Senator Ernst just reintroduced yes, your bill recently. I think it was a combination of being really distressed by the number of small and medium-sized dairy farms, particularly, that were having to close, having to sell what may have been a multi-generational operation. And, you know, looking at all the, these measures that I've just talked about that help um, small and medium-sized farms get ahead in this very challenging environment. And then sort of just making the obvious connection of like, how does it affect your mental health if you might be the farmer who's working this family farm the, the year it has to close? After five generations? Yeah, a century farm. And um, I, I was hearing anecdotes about farmer suicides. I was meeting widows. And I've always cared deeply about access to health care and mental health care and parity and all of that. But like veterans, for example, this is a unique population that needs a unique approach. Mm -hmm. Farming, um, whether it's crop farming or dairy farming, can be very isolating. You can work alone almost all day. And doesn't you know that means somebody might not be there to notice signs of anxiety, depression, stress. So farmers first takes a sort of unique approach and sort of builds upon uh, resources that are already available, and also recognizes that a lot of the source may be financial. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, this is a special program when we've reintroduced it. We hope we can get it attached to the farm bill so it'll go through with that um, that larger piece of legislation. But to increase the resources available, it's a pretty modest program as federal programs goes. So increasing the funding available. One of the many things it does is train lay people, you know, like you and me who've never gone to school to learn about therapy or social work, etc. But you know, who interact with farmers and farm workers on a routine basis. Maybe the person who comes to collect the milk or the banker. Um, that may be a very stressful conversation. Maybe, you know, where you get your, um, your diesel fuel for your farm implements. Have them get some just basic training in recognizing the telltale signs of stress, anxiety, depression, and, you know, have this resource bank to be able to refer people to. Yeah. I want to shift pace just for a minute to another issue that is particularly important to people here in Madison. Last month, the first of the F-35s began to arrive at, mm -hmm. at Truex Field. Many Madisonians have expressed concerns about the noise and potential environmental issues that they bring with them. You were a big advocate for bringing the F-35s to Madison. Why did you feel like it was so important to have them here? Yeah, so I will start with just uh, we have had... Um, an Air National Guard, an Army National Guard base out at Truax for many decades. Many different planes, aircraft over the life of that base, most recently the F-16s. And we have about 1,600 jobs at that Air Force base or Air Guard base. Mm -hmm. And when the F-16s reached their end of their lifespan is a weird word yeah, to use. Cycle. Yeah. yeah. There was a nationwide competition between air guard bases, and they were competition. What do I mean by that? You know, uh, are your facilities adequate? 
how about your performance as a unit? Mm -hmm. How about the mechanics and the skills of the workers who stay on the ground? And in that competition, uh, Truax was rated number one. Mm -hmm. And first of all, you know, that also makes me a bit proud to <laughs> just great work there. But they won that competition. And then there was follow on that has to happen, um, environmental impact statement, et cetera, before the Secretary of the Air Force made the final decision. I support that decision. I support those jobs, but I was very mindful about the um, potential negative effects, especially related to sound. Mm -hmm. I have led an effort in the Senate, and you know my House counterparts have all um, helped on the House side to secure a significant amount of funding for noise remediation. And currently, we are in a, a study period where, and I'm kind of trying to push the Air National Guard to hurry this up because they're coming. They're not all here yet, but they're coming and we need to get on this. But to look at the type of noise mitigation we can do to the most affected area south of the airport. There's discretion about for the Air National Guard of whether um, those planes take off to the north over rural areas or take off to the south over more populated residential areas. And the training ground is to the north. So it's actually two minutes from takeoff to Volk Field and the, uh, or three minutes, yeah, where they do their training exercises. So I wanna work to minimize the noise um, and, and urge the Air National Guard to do those to the north landings and takeoffs, other way around, takeoffs and landing. Yeah. But I also want to get those resources deployed, and sometimes it may mean, it probably the most straightforward way is, is window replacement in residences, many of which are older vintage, and so you have the double, you know, you can lower your energy bill at the same time as you put in more soundproof glass. But I really want to see that starting to happen, and not just be an aspiration for the future, but the, the money's there, we've secured um, several million dollars to start doing that in the neighborhoods affected. On the pollution aspect, um, I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that they're actually remediating some things and it's actually getting better. Mm -hmm. So at airports across the country for many years, there's been, and still is, a requirement that you have a special sort of aviation firefighting foam right. that contains PFAS. Yes. We are urging the Federal Aviation um, Administration to find safe alternatives. They haven't yet, and so it's mandatory that airports have this stuff. Although, this is interesting, just this last month, the Wisconsin Air National Guard base is the first to get rid of their PFAS-laden firefighting foam because that same FAA ruling doesn't apply to the military. Right. So they're now able to get free. But some of the construction that needed to occur at the airport to ready the airport for the F-35s, has included removal of PFAS-laden soil. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be able to relocate that. And so there's actually, there has been some, I don't know how comprehensive, but some remediation of PFAS on site because of the basing there. So that's a step forward. Okay. And one final question before we get to the lightning round. Thinking back to the campaign, I, I know you're gearing up for another run for another term in the Senate. Democratic field for another position in the federal government will probably be wide open come 2028. Do you have any aspirations for a different job than in the federal <laughs> government? No. 
that officially made that the first question of the lightning round. <laughs> I just want to say that I'm, I feel so fortunate to be able to do what I do and that the voters have entrusted me to keep on fighting. And that's what I intend to do. I'm talking with U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin. More to come. Wedge Issues is sponsored by Leopold's Books Bar Cafe. Madison's Bookstore for Night Owls, serving craft cocktails, locally roasted coffee, and desserts every day from morning till midnight. More information at leopoldsmadison.com. Okay, are you ready for the lightning round? Well, no, but you're going to give it to me anyway, so... (laughs) I'm, I'm afraid of the lightning round. <laughs> You've answered a few of these questions for the Cap Times before when you were at Idea Fest in 2021 with my former colleague, Jesse O'Poyan. I don't know if you've ever answered this one, but it's a classic for wedge issues. What is your favorite Wisconsin beer? Moon Man, which is uh, New Glarus Brewery, one of my favorite Wisconsin breweries. And everyone talks about Spotted Cow, which is a lager, but I'm an IPA gal. What is your favorite knickknack or family heirloom or, or tchotchke that you own? Oh, my grandmother's needlework. Hmm. Yeah. Sweet. What song or artist are you listening to right now? You're spending a lot of time on the road or on the plane back and forth from Washington. Who are you listening to right now? Well, I'm doing a Tina Turner Memorial right now. Yeah. May she rest in peace. May she rest in peace. But boy, what an impact she made. If you've had a long day at work, what comfort food do you crave when you get home? Oh, goodness. Good question. Well, it, it, so it's summer now, but I would say prior to that, a good chili or soup of some sort. What is your favorite sandwich? Grilled cheese. Classic. Are you reading anything not work-related right now? So I'm, I've set it down for a little while, but I started reading Dune. Because that sort of, well, there's been a movie before, but there's a new movie. Well, it's not new. It's last year now. Yeah, so now part two coming out in October or November. But I wanted to read the science fiction story first. So I started it. I'm about a third of the way through it. I don't know. I'm a person who likes to read the book if it has gotten some good reviews prior to seeing the movie. Partly because I imagine the characters and then I see how the director and producer imagines the characters. So it's like sometimes it's like, that's exactly how I would have done it. And other times it's not. Have you ever asked someone for their autograph and who was it? Well, I actually just this week, I haven't gotten the autograph yet, but I asked an artist for an autograph. I'm doing a sort of blow up print of a graphic art piece that he did. And I said, once I get it back, I want you to sign the bottom. Oh, cool. And he said he would, so. Very cool. cool. Yeah. Okay, so as I mentioned in 2021, when, when you were at Idea Fest, you told my former colleague, Jesse O'Poyne, that, that your favorite Wisconsin cheese was Mobe or uh, a fenugreek gouda, I think Ooh, I'm saying that. And I have some in my refrigerator of that right now. <laughs> was... um, so that's from, uh, Wisconsin. well, I mean, both of them are from Wisconsin cheesemakers, but I was this week at Marika Gouda in Thorpe, Wisconsin, which is on Highway 29 as you go from, well, I happen to be going from west to east. Anyway, so I stopped by and she makes this world-class Gouda and she puts little spices in various batches and so fenugreek Gouda is one of them. It sounds like that is still the case. Are there others to add to the list? Well, cheese curd, always. 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 And I think if I have a choice between having it fresh or deep fried that 
I like the squeaky fresh. Okay. A Dane County Farmer's Market classic. Yes. <laughs> Senator Tammy Baldwin, thank you so much for joining Wedge Issues. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. The show is sponsored by Leopold's Books Bar Cafe and edited by Haley Bowers. Our intro music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll have new episodes every other week. If you like what you heard, hit subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend. And if you haven't already, sign up for Wedge Issues, the newsletter at captimes.com forward slash newsletters. I'm Jack Kelly. Thanks for listening.